0: welcome to Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Holman's, his
1: Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we're talking about chapter 18 of Northern Lights, Fog and Ice. a while it has we had like a a much needed break because it turns out doing a lot of podcasting is is quite a lot of podcasting (laughs) it's true it's true we had a much needed break but then also still managed to put out content in the break which is just so us (laughs) we'd accidentally scheduled ourselves so that we were putting out two things in one week after we very specifically started out our podcast life saying we're only going to do a thing every other week And then immediately did a thing every week. And then (laughs) lockdown half, we were like, let's do one thing a week. One thing a week is good. And now we're like, two, three, five things every week. (laughs) Calm the fuck down. You can't do it all.
0: Yeah, we do need to calm down.
1: So I hope everybody enjoyed the interview that we had with Russell Dodgson because it was super duper fun to record. And I hope that it was sufficient in place of a regular book episode because, oh my God, he was such a lovely man. Thank you for talking to us, Russell.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was so nice. I I've, I've said so many nice things about Russell, and I will continue to say them. He was just bloody lovely, and it kind of felt like you were like. And this is the same for all the people we've spoken to, actually. But I think when we spoke to Russell, it was kind of just like chatting to a friend. He was so like open about everything, and like we were all like laughing together and stuff. And I was like, yes, love
1: this. Yeah, super friendly, super forthcoming with information and totally really wanted us to give him criticisms which I was like I can't do it I can't tell him I don't like his stuff and then I asked the goose question I had my goose question answered if you want to know why Kaiser is not a goose you have to listen to that episode to find out you do you do but we
0: will say as well and we say this in the episode and we've said it on social media because we are the most careful people but there are spoilers in that episode pretty pretty heavy spoilers actually for all the books yes (laughs) So our interviews are pretty spoilerific because we don't want to limit the people that we're talking to to only a certain amount of things. We want to learn all the things from them. And also it's kind of like you don't get that natural rapport with someone if you're like,
1: sorry, you can't say that because it's a spoiler. And also we might not get to chat to that person again. They might be super duper busy when lockdown finishes. So we're trying to get in as many people as we can and talk about as much as we can. Which brings us to the next super ridiculously exciting thing that happened (laughs) because Faye put on her big girl pants and sent so many emails out to so many people. I did. And none other than Daphne Keane, or Daphne Keane's representation, replied to us and said that she'd be willing to talk to us about her role as Lyra on the TV show. uh, Never uh, have I ever freaked out so much in my life. I like ran around my house telling all my housemates.
0: I, yeah, outrageous. Daphne Keene wants to talk to us. Absolute madness. I can't bloody wait to speak to her. And I'm just a bit speechless about it. Like actual Lyra wants to talk to us. I'm
1: so excited. So if you're as excited as we are, send mm-hmm. your questions, send them in by email to her.materialspod at gmail.com. Send them to us on Twitter and on Facebook and on Instagram at Pod, And oh my God, we'll try our best to ask them, but we might be too busy freaking out because <laughs> it's Daphne and she's great. Oh my God, yes. thank you so much for saying that you talked to us, Daphne, if you listen to this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, yeah. We have been just collectively losing our minds since we found out that this was a possibility. And it looks like things are slowly getting confirmed, but we can't, we can't give you a date yet because we don't want to jinx it. But yeah, send us your questions. Keep an eye out. We'll do our best to like keep you updated on stuff and also try and get through the interview without either crying or screaming or both.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Podcasting. Being professional. Yeah. Oh, so uh, exciting. We got so excited about actual podcast
0: stuff that we didn't even talk about us. Like, what are we doing? What's going on? People don't care about that. <laughs> I mean, they really don't. They don't.
1: I care. How are you? <laughs>
0: I'm all right. The, Lockdown restrictions in the UK have been lessened very slightly, so it means that you can go and see one person that is not in your house if you stay two metres apart. So on Saturday, I went to see my friend Zach in Clapham, and we went to the park and we sat two metres apart.
1: So rude that you didn't come and see me. I know, sorry. (laughs) It was great. So offended. (laughs) Don't be
0: offended. I would love to see you rich and we can absolutely do that
1: yeah the the restrictions being ambiguously lessened is super exciting um i'm just acting like everything is exactly the same as it was before yeah it's probably safer that way but i've been making super fun fabric masks to send Mm. to my friends and family that need them and that we can use when we go to the shops and stuff i've been whipping some up out of some old bedding and different fabric i had around the house so that we're not using valuable nhs supplies (laughs) and i'm waiting for mine in the post rich sent me one i posted it this morning
0: yeah (laughs) yeah i've been similar during like the new rules i haven't been doing anything different apart from walking to clapham to see zach for like an hour on saturday but other than that i'm still just doing like my one walk a day if I can get out um, being really careful, staying away from people. <sighs> I don't know, it's just the government, isn't it? It's like, they're so ambiguous about everything and it's because they don't wanna be blamed for anything and blame on the public. Like, do you see all those news stories about, oh, the tubes are rammed and the buses are rammed. And it's like, well, yeah, because they fucking told people to go back to work. So what do you
1: expect? People need to work. Basically, people are feeling pressured to go back into work and their only option is to use public transport. And it also means that there probably won't be any more government support for the people that can't go into work because they've eased it that bit. They have the excuse of saying, well, if you can go into work, you should. So yeah, it's she... I am, I'm done with it. So. <laughs> same. Grumpy bitches Yay! unite! We're back. <laughs> and grumpier than ever. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. feel like a proper mad ass lately. <laughs> yeah, same. Although we shouldn't
0: be grumpy rich because we are fucking interviewing Daphne Keene. like what the fuck
1: yeah this is the thing that my mood fluctuates so heavily from being ridiculously excited cuz like good things are happening or like if i get something that i've been working on finished and i'm happy with it i'm so excited it's so lovely to see my friends and i get so happy and then like all of a sudden i'll just be like oh for fuck's sake like everything is a bit shit though isn't it yeah oh yeah <laughs> and you just I'm... kind of get reminded like you look at the news or mm, something mm-hmm. and you're like everything kind of comes flooding back and then you're like okay think about the nice things oh I'm gonna record a podcast episode that's nice
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm exactly the same I'm like fluctuated massively but yeah I've been trying to remind myself recently that there are positive things in my life that I should be like excited about Everything's a bit fleeting right now, isn't it? So it's like you'll be yeah. excited, like you were saying, you'll be excited one minute, and then the next minute you're like,
1: huh oh. <laughs> yeah." I think that's the thing. is kind of taking realizing the little things that do matter. So like the mm. other week, we ventured out of the house on one of our weekend walks around around the the area and uh tried to find some different types of alcohols so that we could make some cocktails. We went into like an off license and saw so mm-hmm. we could find and. Then we made mojitos and Johnny learned how to make an old-fashioned and just doing stuff that's like stay-at-home holiday stuff just make, like, yeah. cheers me up. I know definitely. that you guys have been having some cheeky margaritas as well. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> Fucking love a marg. I didn't have one this weekend, though. It was too too busy. I'll have one this weekend, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> and I'm starting to enjoy the quizzes again. They're no longer overwhelming and they're fun. So that's good. That's true. <laughs> yeah, Definitely.
0: Oh yeah, so you guys already know this because we told you, but we're going to tell you again. We've got a Discord server now, and it's super fun. And the last time we told you about it, I was like, oh my god, I don't want to be like an overbearing podcast mum. And then people in the Discord reassured me that I wasn't. And also, the chat is fucking booming in there
1: and loving life. It is. Let's do do a quick wave from inside the podcast to the Discord. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to share that on the Discord now. I'm going to do every time we record, I'm just going to do this, (laughs) like wave from inside the episode.
0: Yay. Um and yeah, so if you want to join the Discord server, all you need to do is become a patron and that's patron at any level. So the lowest level we have is $2, the highest is $20. So yeah, you can go to patreon.com forward slash and sign up if you can and if you want to, we will be here waiting to chat to you in the Discord server.
1: Hey Faye! Hey! What would your demon have been this week?
0: I feel like I've kind of been my default setting this past week. I've been fine, which is quite abnormal for lockdown. I feel like I've fluctuated quite a lot within lockdown. But like this last week, I've been just normal. So I'm going to go with my default duck and just be my duck this week.
1: Nice. It's duckling season as well. Yeah, good season for ducks. My mum's been going out on walks and sending me photos of the ducklings in the village river very cute
0: cute. that is really cute um but yeah that's me this week i feel okay which i think should be celebrated because i think it's the first time that i've like not been a bit manic or a bit depressed so
1: happy to be somewhere in the middle Ethan keel (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs) that's what we like yes what would your demon have been i have been on another googling obscure animals um, thing yes excellent because I spent yesterday and today doing lots of sewing sewing little masks and stuff I was looking up animals that sew did you think that there was an animal that sews Faye I did not well there is <laughs> it's not a fucking spider is it <laughs> no it's called a tailor bird hmm. they find really big wide flat leaves and they roll them into little like a cone and then they use stuff like <laughs> grass and twig and just stuff to like stitch. The leaf into like a cone shape and then they build their oh. nest inside the cone and they're called wow that's so cool yeah love it i'll find you a picture of one okay there he is he made his little nest inside a, a rolled up leaf oh oh that's so cute so cute where it's like stitched the leaf together i think oh, it uses yeah. like bits of feather and like twigs and stuff it's a cute bird that's what i'm saying so i would have had a little tailor bird that would have been helping me with my sewing and it would have been really cute that so. is super cute shall we get into it
0: last chapter lyra tricked mrs coulter ran away and caused an explosion
1: that basically destroyed the station she was reunited with the egyptians Yarick and lee and a battle broke out she escaped in Lee's balloon with
0: Lee, Yorick, and Roger with help from the witches. In this chapter, the gang journey on in Lee's balloon.
1: Lee and Lyra have conversations with Serafina Peckler, and we learn more about Lyra's destiny. The balloon is attacked by cliff gas, and Lyra is thrown out into the snow. She is captured by some armoured bears. Ah, bears! <laughs> more bears! <laughs> yes!
0: So, we start, and we're still in the balloon. Lee's arranged some furs over Lyra, and she cuddles up to Roger, and they have a little sleep, which is cute. It's so cute. Yeah. It's really
1: cute. Also, it's one of those rare moments where we're getting a chunk of chapter not from Lyra's perspective. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like, she's asleep, so we're getting this whole bit without any insight into Lyra, and without Lyra knowing what's going on, which I love. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's like when the master and the librarian had a chat in chapter two, 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 two or three. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like it a lot as well. So this like kind
0: of starts one of the two big conversations that we're going to get this chapter and they both basically take up the entire chapter apart from the, like the bit at the end where it gets a bit scary. Um, But yeah, these two conversations take up most of the chapter, which is actually really hard. I I don't know if you found this, but doing this podcast and making notes, it's so much more difficult to write down notes about dialogue than it is about like descriptions and scenes moving on because I find myself like putting a million stickers down and then trying to like remember what they've said either way with and it's not like I'm trying not to write the whole conversation down because I'm like, what's the point? I can just read it from the book. But then I'm like, ah, I find it more difficult to keep up with.
1: I agree. I especially find it tricky when, so there's a whole, the whole dialogue is happening, is strengthening and changing and like it's all to do with the interaction between the two characters and that has its own kind of plot within the chapter of how the dialogue is affecting the characters but then within the dialogue we're getting loads of exposition and backstory yeah so you've also got to dissect that so everything's just got two layers to it because like it doesn't matter if lee's being sassy to seraphina peckler because seraphina peckler is telling him about her love story with which we're gonna get to and faye's gonna cry (laughs) um yeah so it's there's so much to unpick, there's so many more layers when you've got loads of conversation happening. Yeah,
0: definitely. Like As we mentioned, Lee and Serafina start having the first conversation in this chapter, and I'm a bit shocked at how, like you mentioned Lee being sassy, but like he's kind of been like, what's in it for me? And... I'm quite shocked about that because I don't remember a lot about Lee Scarsby other than what I saw in the TV show when Lin-Manuel played him, having only read the books once, as I've told you all a million times. But Lee in the TV show is so, like, so in for Lyra. Like he, he loves her immediately. He would do anything for her. And this just seemed like out of sync with that. Whereas obviously they made a decision on the TV show. But I was quite shocked to come back to the book and it it not sit right with me i was like no lee
1: it's really interesting because i think if you've decided that you bloody love lee scoresby it's hard to read this yeah but also if you've made that decision that you know that lee is good and that he has good intentions you could see this all as a kind of layer of like bravado Mm. or him kind of like playing up his like tougher side that is more like what's in it for me or you can look yeah. at it as that straight up, you know, he has a bit of a heart of stone. He is a bit of a mercenary type and he does need mm. paying for his goods and or services. Lyra will go on potentially mm. to melt his heart and we're waiting for his heart to be melted.
0: Yeah, and I do I do get it because like the man's got to eat. But it's mm-hmm. one of those things where you just assume in stories like this that everybody's all in for the hero or the heroine or wh- whichever word you want to use. I kind of like it in a way because it's like actually these people or creatures or whoever they are, they are their own people and their world doesn't revolve around Lyra.
1: Mm-hmm. He's got to make a living somehow. Yeah, and I think in a lot
0: of other like novels, especially those that are aimed at like children or like young adult novels, that have got like a specific mission with like a hero, you don't really get to learn about those other characters, other than what they're showing you in their diversion to that hero. If that makes sense. You don't ever get to learn like, oh, actually, this is a bit fucking inconvenient for me.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. And also like it is a sign of economic privilege for somebody to be able to drop everything to like chase Lyra around the world and help her with her missions and stuff because he might have a mortgage to pay. Like you don't know, like not everybody has like a, a safety net. In Mm -hmm. the same way that I think Lyra does because she knows the Egyptians would take her in. She knows that Asriel is, okay, whilst he's in prison, he's pretty wealthy and she could probably try to rely on that. Like she kind of knows that there's a safety net there for her. Lee probably doesn't have that. And so him double checking in that he is, that there is payment in there for him somewhere is maybe a big part of that. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. There's so many layers to it because it is so odd to see this character that you are rooting for and that you love Say something that comes off so cynical and like calculated and money grabby in a way that feels quite crass. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I-, I was like reading it and I was like, no, Lee. But yeah, it's one of those things like if you think about it a little bit more, there are a bunch of reasons. But then, like I said earlier, it's kind of like you're just kind of used to that trip of everyone being just by the hero's side, no matter what. But it's not always convenient for
1: people. So I love that we've had this whole discussion. We've kind of not really said what Lee says. (laughs) That's true. That's true. He asks Serafina how important is Lyra and how dangerous it's going to get because his fee that the Egyptians paid him did not include some of the levels of danger that he has been experiencing and that he is anticipating. And he signed up for getting the Egyptians from A to B and scouting out for them, not for taking Lyra on a field trip to see Lord Asriel. Mm hmm kind of like that like I can see him being swept up in this whole thing where everybody's very honor bound and duty bound and he's kind of like eh, I kind of had to get paid at some point
0: <laughs> yeah that's the thing isn't it if you put yourself in that situation or for me if I put myself in that situation I would probably be the same I'd just be like look I happen to stumble upon this mission and stumble upon like Lyra and the Egyptians. And now suddenly I'm flying halfway across the world to this girl's uncle, to somewhere really dangerous as well. Yeah, definitely. I'm coming round to it more when I, as I'm talking it out, but when, yeah, when I first read it, I was like, ah, <laughs>
1: no. Yeah, especially as he's fully aware of the political situation, because he's kind of gone from, like, escorting a group of people somewhere and helping people to get from A to B to taking a potential political exile back to their place of origin in a thing that could be considered an act of war and he's like i didn't sign up for this yeah exactly (laughs) Um, this contract has a lot more responsibility in it than i thought i signed up for
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so um seraphina says that there might be fighting but he's fought before
1: he says he'd like to know what he can expect in ways of mayhem and ructions which I love, kind of love that turn of phrase. And also, fun fact, fun fact in Rachel's word corner Ooh. is what do you think mayhem means?
0: It's so funny, isn't it? When people ask me what words mean, it's like, I know what it means in my head, but I don't know how to articulate it. But some, like something like out of the ordinary, a bit like crazy, like you don't know what's going on. It's, it's madness. It's mayhem. Ah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So mayhem is in like a little bit of chaos, a little bit yeah. of like all these things are happening mayhem historically means dismemberment oh it refers to the deliberate dismemberment and maiming of a person in order to give them a disadvantage in battle so like deliberately chopping someone's arm off because you're fighting them with an axe or whatever wow um so that's fun so it makes you really look differently at the drag queen mayhem miller yeah right (laughs) i was just thinking when you said what does mayhem mean i was like "Hmm, mayhem miller so this is i guess it's its historical origins which is fun, but, like, I guess now, because of the way it's used more colloquially, it is more like, ooh, chaos. But, um, I just kind of love it.
0: <laughs> that's what it means. So do you think, do you think that that's what Lee meant when he said mayhem and
1: <laughs> Am I walking into a... Because ruction is more like, I also looked this up, is disturbance or quarrel or angry reactions to a thing, like, mm. protesting and complaining about stuff. So that kind of makes more sense as, like, oh, this is, like, a conflict situation. Like, I... Kind of, will it be causing conflict by your own? But saying mayhem is like, well, you're going into a place with armored bears. Maybe he does mean the original use of the word. Maybe he does mean like, am I going to lose a limb here? Because I I didn't sign up for it. Oh my God.
0: (laughs) Oh, Lee. Thanks, Rich, for your your little word corner. Love it.
1: Word corner.
0: Yeah, so Serafina says that they're already involved in a war, whether they know it or not. And then Lee says that he should really have a choice in the matter if it is a war,
1: which is Mm. fair seraphina does a really great job of being vague as fuck yes she is talking about this war every like humans and witches and bears are engaged in a war but not everybody knows it like you're on a side and you don't even know it Ooh, and it's like just tell him what's going on because he's literally there like i didn't i didn't sign up for any of this like what are you taught, talk- like, stop talking about mystical forces. Like, am I going to get in a fight?
0: Yeah. The thing is, is, it's funny. Do you think they're just being vague because they don't know? Because there's a lot of stuff that they don't actually know in this chapter. Uh, like, he's like, they're like, what you were just saying about them being super
1: vague. They ask them a couple of questions where Seraphine is just like, don't know that's not the concern of witches i'd love it if every time somebody asked me something i was like oh that that's not the concern of rachel's rachel's don't know these things (laughs) i do not understand the question and i will not respond to it yeah (laughs) not because i don't know but because it's not my concern
0: (laughs) yeah exactly i'm gonna use that maybe i could use it at work and see how that goes down (laughs) i'm above this (laughs) yeah (laughs)
1: <laughs> it would go great it would go
0: great <laughs> she says that it's no more of a choice than being born
1: okay great thanks seraphina it's very fate heavy this chapter really kind of gets you to know more about lee and whilst mm-hmm. it might kind of make you think he's a bit more cynical he it really hammers him down as this like free spirit because he says like oh but i like choice i like choosing the jobs i take and the places i go and the food i eat and the companions i sit and yarn with don't you wish for a choice once in a while? Mm-hmm. I really like that he's like, I'm a free man. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Seraphina says, perhaps we don't mean the same thing by choice, Mr. Scoresby. Witches are nothing, so we're not interested in preserving value or making profits. And as for the choice between one thing and another, when you live for many hundreds of years, you know that every opportunity will come again. We have different needs. You have to repair your balloon and keep it in good condition, and that takes time and trouble. I see that, but for us to fly, all we have to do is tear off a branch of cloud pine, Any will do, and there are plenty more. And then she goes into the fact that, like, they don't feel cold, so they, need, they don't need warm clothes. And then there's a bit here where it says, nor do we have an inertia of honour as bears do, for instance. An insult to a bear is a deadly thing to us. Inconceivable. How could you insult a witch? And what would it matter if you did? yes girl yes queen (laughs) that is another thing that I'm gonna try and take into my life just be like you can't insult me and what would it fucking matter if you did it's inconceivable goodbye
1: yes (laughs) I yeah I love it I love that attitude and it really shows the difference between that witches are just on this totally different level. They have a totally different way of understanding the world yeah. to everybody else because <laughs> I love his response to it. It's just like, yeah, kind of with you on that. Sticks and stones and break your bones, but names ain't worth the quarrel. <laughs> it's like, Lee. Can I just
0: say, also, that is definitely not the phrase sticks and stones i'll break your bones lee
1: that's not no. how it goes <laughs> uh, maybe that's like an autocorrect <laughs> should it be apostrophe ll like sticks and stones will break your bones
0: maybe but i was just like that he's made that um what's the word for it like a
1: phrase um uh, oh, when you misquote a phrase
0: no i'm thinking just the like, sticks and stones i'll break your bones the word, words will never hurt you what's the word for that like it's like a a saying. A saying, yeah. It's a saying. Yeah. I just feel like, yeah, I feel like he has made the saying much more violent than it needs to be. Yes! Like, and like, he's like, I'll break your bones. I'll fucking break them. Like, no, Lee, no, that's not
1: it. Also, it's, impl- yeah, it implies you're an angry man, maybe. Because it's like, sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's the yeah. one that I know. Yeah, exactly, But if he's right? saying sticks and stones, I'll break your bones. <laughs> <laughs> if you throw sticks and stones at me, I will break you.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Like, maybe that's the saying where Lee's from, but that's not the one that I know. And it's not the one that I know. me
1: <laughs> so violently. Oh, Lee. Oh, he goes on to say, so he kind of says, yeah, I get what you're saying, Serafina, but... I'm a simple aeronaut. I'd like to end my days in comfort. Buy a little farm, a few head of cattle, some horses. Nothing grand, you notice. No palace or slaves or heaps of gold. Just the evening wind over the sage and a cigar because he's from Texas. It's a cigar, (laughs) not a cigar. Uh, (laughs) And a glass of bourbon whiskey. Now, the trouble is that costs money. So I do my flying in exchange for cash. And after every job, I send some gold back to the Wells Fargo bank. And when I've got enough, ma'am, I'm going to sell this balloon and book me a passage on a steamer to Port Galveston and I'll never leave the ground again. And it's like, he's got a dream. He's got a dream. He
0: has, but like, didn't the mention of a random bank kind of take you out of it? When I was reading that and it said Wells Fargo Bank, I was like, we're in a balloon in the air with an armored bear, and everyone's got demons, and then he's just talking about a, a bank. He and could it, just
1: say a bank. Yeah, like it's a specific bank. It really threw me off. Maybe it grounds it in some way. Philip's got a reason for everything. <laughs> I just haven't Googled it.
0: <laughs> Add that to the list of
1: questions, Philip yeah does he have a particular
0: <laughs> like does he love wells fargo bank or something so like oh it's banked with them he's like i'm gonna give them a shout out in my novel
1: yes maybe it's referring to like an old-timey like texan bank that is in some way like a reference to something that we don't get maybe it is a real bank though right i feel like i've heard of it oh i don't know i haven't yeah. heard of it
0: yeah i think it is hang on wells fargo and company is an american multinational financial services company headquartered in san francisco yeah it is a real bank that's really weird then. that's why it that's why it threw me off because I was like that's a real bank <laughs> it's like it's like if they were like oh I'm, I want to settle down and like save my money and put it in Yorkshire Bank like it just like that's how it took me out of it like yeah Midlands. I get that I get that
1: I yeah because I hadn't really heard of the bank name before it didn't really take me out of it but it's definitely put it in NatWest West. <laughs> I gotta go stick it in, yeah, stick it in HSBC, it will be fine. (laughs) (laughs) So he says that he would never fly again if he earned enough money to retire. She's like, I could never give it up. I'd no sooner give up flying than give up breathing. To fly is to be perfectly ourselves, which is really cool.
0: Yeah.
1: And he's like, oh, that's not the case for me. Flying's just a job for me. But I'm calling bullshit on this. Mm. Because... We saw how happy he was when the balloon was taking off, and they were flying up into the air, and he was like yee-hawing and whooping and stuff. Yeah. like he loves it. He loves flying. Well, then maybe he's this... definitely just putting a front on. Yeah, the Serafina. He, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's what I was just going
0: to say. Maybe this goes back to that like bravado that you were talking about.
1: I think. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah.
0: So he says that uh, that was his own free choice, which is why he finds being dragged into this war troubling. Uh, Sarafina says that Yorick's fight with the Bear King on Svalbard is part of it, and that Lyra will play a part in that as well. So, kind of sets up sets us up to, I suppose, see that there's probably going to be some kind of altercation between Yorick and this other king, which we kind of gathered anyway. I would, I, I think.
1: Yeah, just a cheeky bit of foreshadowing and backstory for what we're about to probably have. Happen. Yeah, because well,
0: we know that they're not going to let Yorick back on Svalbard without some kind of fight or altercation because he's been banished. So they're not just going to let him walk back on there, are they?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Serafina says that it's all a part of destiny. And then they start to get into what destiny is and what that means to the two of them. Lee says he doesn't really understand it, just like he doesn't understand the war that he's enlisted in without knowing about. And it seems ridiculous that it could apply to Lyra because she seems like the most free-willed and free-spirited person out of anyone he's ever met. So how could she be just like a pawn in Destiny's Mm. game? Uh, He doesn't understand it. And Serafina kind of goes on to say a really interesting thing about Lyra. She says, We are all subject to the fates, but we must all act as if we are not or die of despair. There is a curious prophecy about this, this child. She is destined to bring about the end of destiny, but she must do so without knowing what she is doing, as if it were her nature and not her destiny to do it. If she's told what she must do, she will fail. Death will sweep over all the worlds. It will be the triumph of despair forever. That's bleak. (laughs) The universes will all become nothing more than interlocking machines, blind, empty of thought, feeling, life. And then they look down at Lyra, and she's just got her little face like tucked inside her hood, and she looks all stubborn and it's really cute. But like that's a lot of pressure to put on a twelve year old
0: The fact that her destiny, if she doesn't fulfill it, will destroy everything in all of the worlds,
1: or that that's what the witches believe anyway that is that's a lot of pressure for a kid, so <laughs> I'm much glad pressure. that she doesn't know
0: <laughs> yeah, right,
1: so much. Oh, I did really love that bit that you mentioned where she's just got a stubborn little frown. Oh. Just tucked inside her tiny... Little... Also, Ugh. they keep talking about how how tucked in she is inside this massive hood. So I'm imagining every time she's having a conversation with someone that she looks a little bit like Kenny from South Park <laughs> with the little hood, like, tucked all the way around her face. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Cute. Cute. Uh, Lee asks about Roger. <laughs> he says, how about the little boy? You know she came all this way to save him from those fiends back there. Uh, They were playmates back in Oxford or or somewhere. Did you know that? And Serafina says, yes, I did know that. Lyra is carrying something of immense value and it seems like uh, that the fates are using her as a messenger to take it to her father. So she came all this way to find her friend, not knowing that her friend was brought to the north by the fates in order that she might follow and bring something to her father. Poor Roger. (laughs) Right. Poor fucking Roger has to go through all this entire fucking ordeal just so that this destiny can happen and I just I just love Roger a lot and yeah, I just wanna give him a big cuddle. Yeah. But also, um it kind of asks the question of we assume that this important thing that Lyra has got to take to Azrael is the Elysiometer, but nobody has actually said it. No.
1: Because I think the prophecies don't say anything specific. Classic prophecy. So everyone's kind of, and Lyra is kind of assuming it's the alethiometer. And so are we. Yeah. So are we. Classic vague prophecy. Always so vague. Vague prophecy. Yeah. (laughs) The Sayer will die. (laughs) (laughs) But it's fine because it'll just be for five seconds and then Xander will resuscitate her at the end of season one. (laughs) Right, exactly.
0: Or I was thinking about Harry Potter, uh, the prophecy about Harry, which could have also been Neville. Oh my god, why can't I remember what that prophecy is about Harry?
1: Neither will survive while the other... Neither will live while the other survives, that's it. Isn't it? Okay. I don't know what the first part of it is, though. Something to do with the like a May baby or a June baby or whenever July. it's July. Okay. <laughs> Everybody drink. We just mentioned Harry <laughs> Potter a bunch.
0: <laughs> so they're talking about the prophecy and Serafina's just mentioned... About Lyra carrying something of immense value, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and then Lee questions her about it and, and asks her if that's how she reads it. So then again, like we were saying about prophecies being vague, Lee obviously knows that as well, and he's like, "Oh, so that's how you read it." Yeah. And yeah, and then for the first time, Seraphina like seems unsure of it. She says that's how it seems, but she could be wrong. And Lee asks how the witches got brought into all of this anyway. Uh, Sarafina says whatever they were doing at Bolvanger we felt it was wrong with all our hearts Lyra is their enemy so we are her friends we don't see more clearly than that but also there's my clan's friendship for the Egyptian people which goes back to the time when Fardacorum saved my life we are doing this at their bidding and they have ties of obligation with Lord Asriel I can't talk about Fardacorum just yet so.
1: <laughs> yeah we'll save it we'll save it I was yeah. just looking at the whole time just like Fardacorum uh, but then Lee fucking sasses her again, right?
0: Because he's like, so you're towing the balloon to Svalbard for the Egyptian's sake?" And does that friendship extend to towing his back again? Or will I have to wait for a kindly wind and depend on the indulgence of the bears in the meantime?
1: I think those- maybe he's just like, maybe he just, something about Serafina like rubs him up the wrong way. And maybe. He, like, maybe they're just a bit...
0: Um, maybe it's a sassy sexual tension done I can't
1: (laughs) (laughs) ooh yeah I'm trying to work out why he's so kind of reticent and like reluctant to have like an open conversation with her and why he's asking her these questions like oh so you're doing all this for Lyra what are you gonna do for me like it comes off as being a bit of a dick I wonder because he's very as we've seen from just this conversation
0: that they've had so far that he's very pragmatic And he is like, I'm doing this to get money because I need to live. And the fact that Serafina is being very vague and very, like, witchy in the sense of, like, this is a destiny, but we don't know for sure and anything can happen and blah, blah, blah. And she's being quite wishy-washy about everything and not giving, like, solid answers. Maybe that's what's rubbing, rubbing him up the wrong way.
1: Yeah, they're quite opposite as people, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Despite the fact that they both fly. Yeah. They, like they seem to approach life from very different ways so maybe it's just that that he's just like why are you so goddamn wishy-washy give me a straight answer (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: um and Serafina says that she'll help him but she'll they'll help him back if they can but they don't know what will happen on Svalbard I have written it, and it was just see sticker nine for when I cry about Yorick
1: and Lyra (laughs) oh don't worry. I know which bit you're talking about. For me, it's like sticker number 12 because I've put way too many stickers in. <laughs> so, Serafina
0: says about basically she doesn't know what's going to happen when they get to Svalbard, like we said, and that she doesn't know what Yorick has to do, it, like, has in mind to do either, except that his fate is involved with Lyra's. And then lee says i don't know either ma'am. i think he's attached himself to the little girl as a kind of protector she helped him get his armor back you see who knows what bears feel but if a bear ever loved a human being he loves her
1: oh Oh god it's so sweet especially because like if you think about it they've had a fair bit of interaction but they've not had a whole ton aside from like fencing and having chit chats on the road and then she got taken away. Like they yeah. didn't have loads of time to bond, but he's like bonded so strongly to her. Mm. It's just really sweet.
0: It's so sweet. And it's nice to hear it from Lee as well, because obviously Lee and Yorick know each other really well. And what we've seen so far of Yorick and Lyra, we know they've got some kind of connection, but so far we've not really, we don't really know whether Yorick's just doing it because he doesn't want. Anyone to die or like because he's protecting her. Or out of duty or honour, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because Yeah, because of what she did for him with like his armour, like kind of paying him back and stuff. But like now we know and we believe Lee because of him and his and Yorick's past relationship that he loves her. Aww. Oh. Bear dad. Oh,
1: bear dad. <laughs> oh god. There's so many dads in this book. So many dads. Lyra and the many dads, the dadliest oh. dads. Um <laughs> lee asks if there is a war going on i'd quite like to know what side i'm on yeah and she says that they're both on lyra's side lyra has a side people there is a mm-hmm. war and lyra is a side yeah that is what we've just found out yep. that's exciting or because she's on exactly. a side that she doesn't yeah. even know about and we don't know what it is <laughs>
0: yeah is exciting oh uh, well, there's one little kind of redeeming thing about lee is that um seraphina says uh they're both on Lyra's side, and he's like just immediately there, yeah, no doubt about that. So, we can if we're feeling a bit, if we're feeling some feelings towards Lee for being a bit sassy, we know that, the, that in his heart, he knows that he's on Lyra's side and yeah. he has that attachment to Lyra, whether he can admit it yet or not.
1: True. Oh, oh, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> So many dads, Laura and the many dads. <laughs> so many dads. And none of them should be as real. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Yes. Hard agree. Yeah, so you find out that the balloon's being pulled along, but it's not the smoothest of rides because usually the balloon is being carried by the wind and therefore it's not subject to the wind because it's going at the same speed as it Whereas mm-hmm. the witches are pulling the balloon through whatever weather is already happening so it's a bit rocky and bumpy and lee goes around making sure everything's still attached and then gets himself comfy under some furs and like cuddles up against yorick and has a little sleep oh bffs bffs lee and yorick yes and then it's time for lyra to wake up and have a conversation with (laughs) seraphina this chapter okay i said it to Faye before the podcast started but the last chapter was called the Witches." And we had like zero witch time. Mm-hmm. This chapter is called Fog and Ice. Okay, there's some fog, there's some ice, but it should, should be called Serafina Pacola, has <laughs> conversations with the main characters because that's yeah. what's
0: happening. <laughs> I also think like poor Serafina, she must be getting like massive conversation fatigue at this point. She's just like, oh God, yeah. everyone keeps asking me questions. <laughs>
1: Please stop. It's just on her to provide loads of exposition for while she, like, While she's
0: pulling the balloon as well, or like looking after like, the, her clan that are pulling the balloon. I was going to say, I
1: don't think she's pulling anything. Yeah. Is she a queen?
0: Oh, <laughs> bitch has got work to do. Leave her alone. <laughs> she's got business with nature. Always, always. So we learn that they're 12 hours away from Svalbard, and they'll land away from the cliffs as there are some horrible creatures. That live there apparently. I wonder if we'll meet any of those in this chapter. Who knows? Mm, yes. Um <laughs> and Lyra asks about Asriel. So she says, What's going to happen when I find Lord Asriel? Will he want to come back to Oxford or what? Or what? That sounds or like what? something I say. <laughs> or what? I don't know if I ought to tell him I know he's I don't know if I ought to tell him I know he's my father, neither. He might want to pretend he's still my uncle. I don't hardly know him at all. So
1: <laughs> Lyra. Why the fuck would you feel like in order to make him feel better, you would allow him to carry on the pretense that he is your uncle and not your father when he has been shirking his responsibilities this entire time? Why do you feel this obligation to him, Lyra? Stop it, please. He doesn't
0: deserve you. (laughs) Absolutely not. And the fact it's kind of laid out for us here that she says it herself, she doesn't know him at all. Everything that she has been like, daydreaming about and thinking about rescuing him and all all this stuff it's what she's created in her head yeah she doesn't know him and it's it's one of the things where we we've all done this to people you kind of project what you want them to be onto them and then when you eventually meet them or like figure out what that person's about and it's not what you thought it was it's devastating and lyra's just setting herself up for that
1: but just why is she willing to get yeah It's what shows you she's still a child and not a teenager, I think, a lot of the time. Because I think if she were older and she were to have found out that he was her dad, she would not be excited about the prospect of it. She'd Mm. be angry with him that she wasn't told and that he was this, like, weird, vague character in her life when he should have been doing more. Yeah, And so it's again it kind of shows maybe more of her like childish naivety that she's like oh maybe i should just let him keep pretending to be my uncle because that's how i get to have a relationship with him maybe if i like maybe she's scared that if she calls him out on it that he'll leave her and she's still thinks Mm. too much of him but then why would she be scared of that if she thinks he's so great yeah she's assuming that she's not important enough to him when she should be but we know that she probably isn't because he's a dick Oh, yeah. Do you know? I'd
0: fucking love to talk to Philip Pullman about Lord Asriel and Lyra's relationship because it's just so packed with everything. Like, you could read it in so many ways. Because I read this book and I'm like, how the fuck are there people that like Lord Asriel? And, like, no offense to listeners if you do like Lord Asriel. <laughs> but that's my reading of it. And there are obviously a lot of people. Um, who read Asriel in a different way and and really like his character. And that's fine. And that's amazing. And the reason why it's amazing is because I love it when books are written where you can read into it yourself and make those decisions yourself without it being this, like we spoke about a couple of chapters ago, this person is good and this person is bad and that's it. There's no in-between ground. And like, I bet there's a lot of people that fucking hate Mrs. Coulter and we talk about how much we love Mrs. Coulter and it's just
1: so great that everyone can read it in so many different ways. I think I will have a lot more to say about Azriel when we get to book two about how I feel about him because he is so built up in Lyra's eyes at the moment and he's been kind of pushed down our throats as a bit of a hero. And I want to have more conversations about how his character and relationships progress because I think we'll have a lot more to say. Later on, I don't know if that was just vague because I didn't want to say a spoiler. We'll see. No, it's it's a, good, it's a good shout because
0: we've actually only seen him for, like, what, two chapters so far in this book and all the other stuff we've heard is Lyra banging on about how much she fucking loves him. And it, it doesn't help that the moments that we saw with him at the beginning of the, book, of the book, he was horrible. Like, he nearly broke Lyra's arm. That's the only snippet that we've had with him. Then you get Lyra just fucking chatting shit about how much she loves him for like 10 chapters where we're still left with that image of him being a dick. That's
1: true. Also the fact that when I first read the books as a younger kid, I didn't clock the violence as heavily. Mm. I think I did side with Lyra. I did think he was a cool uncle. I think I was excited for her. I was a bit like, oh, it's a bit shit that he didn't tell her that he was a dad. But I don't think I took this strongly against him but it's the fact that that first read of that first chapter colored my opinion of him so much because the violence hit home so much more heavily because I think I was just more aware of the fact yeah like when you're a kid and you're reading it from a kid's perspective you don't see it as it sounds really silly you don't see it as being like well that's child abuse because you're a kid reading it and you're going oh god that's scary that that happened to her Lyra's so strong Lyra's so like lucky and she thinks so much of him and you're identifying with the character that's closest to your own age whereas reading this now I'm a grown-up and I'm a (laughs) grown-up I'm a (laughs) grown-up I am a grown-ass woman and I'm like well that's not how a grown-ass man is supposed to treat a child yeah like that is not cool but as a kid I think I wouldn't have read it that way so my readings of the book have changed so much yeah especially then when you my readings of the book as a person that's already read the book has changed so much and that's why it's so exciting that you read the books for the first time like last year Mm -hmm. because you came to them as an adult so you came to them going yeah that man has abused his daughter he has like physically threatened her yeah that is not cool, I do not like this person, and then read the book that way, whereas as a kid reading it myself, I was like, cool Uncle Asriel, he's an explorer, and he's got a snow leopard. And yeah. I was obsessed with snow leopards and cats as a kid, so I was like, he's got the coolest demon. Yeah. Well, so. that's the thing,
0: isn't it? That's another thing for. that's like praise to Philip Pullman, because you can read it, you read it in different ways as you grow up, which is amazing. So great. Definitely. Such a good writer. Love you, Phil. Well, Come on the podcast. Well done, Phil. <laughs> so... Serafina says that he were, that Asriel won't come back to Oxford and that there's something to be done in another world, and Asriel is the only one who can connect the worlds together. So that's new and interesting information.
1: Mm. Yeah, we've known that he was doing experiments and that he was doing things and that Lyra felt she had to take him something, but we didn't know what his experiments entailed necessarily and also that he is in some way destined to do this because if the witches are talking about it that's a that's destiny shit yeah like yeah exactly um and he
0: needs something to help him and lyra is like the alethiometer and uh lyra asks if he's gonna read it to see how to make the bridge between the two worlds and Serafina says she doesn't know. <laughs> Another thing that Serafina doesn't know. Bless her. <laughs> yeah, we find out that she doesn't know much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are powers who speak to the witches and powers above them. So there's lots of shit going on. And like it kind of highlights that there's people above the witches. So we kind of see the witches at the minute as being these kind of like all-powerful beings with like all this information. Yeah. Or we think they have all this information. And then we learn that actually they're not
1: maybe as high in the pecking order as we thought they might have been. And again, I think that's something you pick up more as you read when you get older. Because as a kid, I was like, Serafina's so cool. She can fly. She's a witch. She knows all the answers. And then reading this, you're like, she doesn't actually answer a question straight. Like, yeah. at all. <laughs> she definitely, exactly. like, she answers questions like a politician. <laughs> yeah. No, she really does. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe that's because she's a queen and she's used to having to do some of the more political stuff, but in a witchy fashion.
0: Maybe. Maybe.
1: So Lyra says that the alethiometer
0: will tell her, but it's too cold to read it. And then she asks Seraphina why she isn't cold. And like I love these questions from Lyra because we've had it before, haven't we? Where in the earlier chapters where it just highlights how... I hate using the word, child, I hate using the word childish to describe Lyra because I don't mean it in an offensive way towards her. I just kind of mean... That it's what children do like when they just ask random questions all the childlike. time like yeah yeah there you go childlike why did not I think of that lockdown brain it's not going well <laughs> um yeah and I just really like that children just ask any questions that comes to their head and they don't really have to like preface it with anything They'd, yeah they're never like oh I was thinking about this and then I wondered this and I was wondering if you could tell me they're just like what about dust oh why
1: aren't you cold yeah, I also love that she full, full names her. Why aren't you called Serafina Pecola? She's uh, Serafina Peckler's on the full name, full and name list. in Left left, right and centre. She's on the gets list. the full
0: name. Yeah. <laughs> Serafina says, We feel cold but we don't mind it because we will not come to harm. And if we were wrapped up against the cold we wouldn't feel other things like the bright tingle of the stars or the music of the aurora, or best of all the silky feeling of moonlight on our skin. It's worth being cold for that.
1: And Harry says, Could I feel them? She says, No. You would die. Stay wrapped up. <laughs> You'll die, love. Please don't. <laughs> I love it. Lyra's like, oh, that sounds magic. Can I do it? No, you can't. <laughs> you would die. <laughs> don't even try it. She uh, can give a straight answer when she wants to. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she can. Um, and then Lyra asks how uh, long witches live. And... Seraphina Peckler. full
0: names again. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, Seraphina Serafina uh... Seraphina. We learned that Serafina's 300 years or more, which is amazing because... i love that she doesn't know right she's like "Uh, uh, round three well you you would stop counting at some point right give or take
1: yeah Yeah. sometimes i forget how old i am i'm only 27 (laughs) 27 am i 27
0: you will be 27 right fuck i don't know how old i am i was like you can't be 27 because i'm 28 and i'm two years older than you
1: okay yeah no i'm very nearly 27
0: (laughs) yeah you'll be 27 at the end of may and then i'll be 29 in november yes
1: I just tell people I'm, like, the wrong age, like, all the time, because I forget. So, yeah, 300, I definitely wouldn't remember that. I'd have to, like, mark it on a tree somewhere that I go down yeah. to. Yeah,
0: I feel like I'm <laughs> perpetually stuck at age 19. That's the age I always go back to, I don't know why. And I'm nearly 10 years older than that, which is very upsetting for me.
1: 30 next year,
0: how dare, how dare I?
1: Anyone that, somebody asks you how old you are and you can say your name, like, your age, like, immediately, they're too young. Yes. Or they're lying about how old they are. Yes. <laughs> Because so everybody true. has to think about it, like, a little bit. So true. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. 100% agree with that. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, Seraphina peculation. She's about 300, she thinks. And then she says that their oldest witch mother is nearly 1,000. One day, how do you pronounce this? Yambe-Aka? Yambe-Aka
1: is how Yamba-aka? I've always said it in my head. Yeah.
0: Will come for her, and one day she'll come for me. She is the goddess of the dead. She comes to you smiling and kindly, and you know it's time to die.
1: Sounds quite. I really like that. I love that the witches have their own goddess of death and I love that they have their own law and um, it kind of gives them a really lovely differentiation and differentness from all the people because they've got their own like law and religious structure. Well, not even religious structure, like law structures and like spiritual structures for themselves, which is really cool.
0: It is really cool. I like that a lot. And it sounds really pleasant, like a pleasant way to die. You just kind of know that you're ready to die. And then somebody comes to you all smiling and nice and takes you.
1: Yeah. I'm glad that they said smiling and kindly because if they said that she comes smiling and you know you're going to die, it does sound like a horror film. A bit creepy. Yeah, so, yeah a bit <laughs> creepy. <laughs> um, Lyra asks if all women are witches or if there are any men. And Sarafina gives this great description of the witches' her uh, relationship with men as like a species yeah which i find really interesting and like lovely and a bit heartfelt and it's quite a long paragraph but i think i'm gonna read it anyway. you do it read it there are men who serve us like the consul at troll's and there are men who we take for lovers or husbands you are so young lyra too young to understand this but i shall tell you anyway and you'll understand it later men pass in front of our eyes like butterflies Creatures of a brief season. We love them. They're brave, they're proud, beautiful, clever, and they die almost at once. They die so soon that our hearts are continually racked with pain. We bear their children, who are witches if they are female, human if not. And then in the blink of an eye, they are gone, felled, slain, lost. Our sons, too. When a little boy is growing, he thinks he is immortal. His mother knows he isn't. Each time becomes more painful until finally your heart is broken. Perhaps that is when Yambayaka comes for you. She is older than the tundra. Perhaps for her, witches' lives are as brief as men's are to us. It's, Serafina. I know. It sounds quite depressing though, right? It's yeah. It is. Saying that they're conti- they're like constantly racked with grief. Yeah. Is really hard. But then I love that she is able to think it is very sad but it's very beautiful that Mm -hmm. she's like men are like butterflies they're beautiful and we love them but their lives are so short compared to ours so that it's hard to but then it you know people don't necessarily form really intense emotional bonds and have babies with Mm -hmm. butterflies so it's really hard to relate I don't know Um, yeah I don't know about you
0: but kind of, immersed in instances of witches in like literature and TV and just like pop culture in general i've always read witches as as queer
1: yeah interesting yeah
0: and i don't know if this leaves a lot of room for that i mean obviously i'm i always assume that there's room for queer things always so i'm assuming in my reading of this there are definitely some queer witches this clan and other clans but it's interesting that they talk about men like that and i do really like the description i think it's lovely
1: i mean also she's talking about her own experience and it might be that actually the witches that live the longest and are the most fulfilled in their lives are the ones that have not have like been like well I'm just not I'm not into men that's quite good for me actually because it means I can actually have a life partner that lives my whole life yeah oh yeah oh
0: god think about how nice that would be you're like over 300 and you've got your own
1: she says later that like someone in her clan made it to like 900 and some And I was like oh imagine the gorgeous witch couple that makes it to like 3,000 because their heart never breaks because neither of them ever dies and they're just like the glorious most gayest couple that's ever existed and it's beautiful i love that so much
0: yeah i don't yeah i don't know what it is i think it's for me reading witches as queer i think it's kind of um you see witches as being other and mm. and particularly you see a lot of women being witches in pop culture and it's always kind of felt to me that like there's a queerness about witches in most of the things I've seen or maybe that's just me again projecting myself onto them
1: but no there's the whole like witchcraft is dancing around a fire naked with a bunch of women like there's nothing gayer than that yeah so I witchcraft has a long rich history of lesbianism and Mm. I love it but also I think there's there's the fact that there's room for the whole spectrum of sexuality in the world of witches I think is great as well and I do think I wouldn't want to read too much into what Seraphine is saying here about all witches. Hashtag not all witches. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, she's definitely talking from her own personal experience, I think. Yeah. She needs
0: more queer good friends. Good point. Yeah. Yeah, very good point. And I do like the way that they talk about men. It's kind of it could have easily been philip could have easily written that as a like a big like fuck you at men and like throw away at men cuz we're all women and we live forever and fuck the men but like the way that he's written it is actually really nice and the fact that they have such a love for these men but then it's it's that horrible like like heartbreak of not being able to spend like the rest of, of your life with the person you love which is why it would just be easier to be a queer witch in that clan
1: Mm-hmm. but also that yeah she's not like fuck man and she doesn't view them as lesser than no. she's, you know they're we love them and they're beautiful they die really quickly she's not saying like you know we need them for procreation i guess wives yeah like do you know they're not, it's not a throwaway thing yeah, and exactly. also they've not yeah there's no scorn That it's just a really nice way of also elevating the witches they are powerful women full stop yeah also again where does it leave space for are they all powerful cis women? Mm. Where is the space for the trans witches? Where is the space? Is it something that comes from your identity? If somebody... I would like to think that all witches... Oh, I'm going to I'm gonna write some canon in my head. Yes. Um, <laughs> head canon. All witches maybe spend their, like, te- like, up to their teenage years. Like, all children of witches mm-hmm. spend up to their teenage years, perhaps living as if they were a mortal. And yeah. then when you know who you are, you know if you're a witch or not.
0: Yeah, because she doesn't really explain like how they get their powers, right? Are, are, do we, just, are we just assuming that the, uh, if they're born as women, they just have powers, and if you're born as a man, you don't?
1: But this is the thing, though, because then what, what you grow up to identify... Perhaps... Yeah, exactly.
0: That's where, that's where it doesn't add up, right? So if you were born like sex-wise, in terms of sex and not gender, if you are born as a man but then identified as a woman later on in life what does that mean like would you suddenly get witch powers would you suddenly be a witch and vice versa as well like if you were born as a woman and
1: then later in life you identified as a man would you lose your witch powers it's really difficult when you've written things in a binary Mm -hmm. to pass that out in a way that feels inclusive because i want these books to be really inclusive and i want to read them to be able to read them in such a way but as with all things like when you start to dig quite hard into things if somebody's not thought around it enough it's hard to know yeah and then what about non-binary people too how would that work yeah put
0: out pop pop all these on the list of questions for philip
1: Again, yeah, if it's 100% based on, like, if you go, like, molecular, if it's all just based on DNA, then, yeah, you're going to end up with some male witches, because, like, there's going to be witches that I, yeah, that identify as men Mm -hmm. when they grow up, like, or when at some point in their life they're going to... So you say, yeah, there are... But then it... uh, Uh. uh, eh. Philip, why'd you make (laughs) it so hard? Stop writing things in a binary. Come on, Phil. Help (laughs) us out here. Please. Write things with more space for me to, for us to like read in a little bit more of a spectrum of gender. Yes, it that would. would be great. We appreciate it. Thank you.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so we yeah we talked about men and then oh uh, they talk about Fardacorum and this is when I cry. Did you love Fardacorum? Yes. Does he know that? I don't know, but I know he loves you. <sighs> I can't. Oh God. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> he said. When he rescued me, he was young and strong and full of pride and beauty. I loved him at once. I would have changed my nature. I would have forsaken the star tingle and the music of the aurora. I would have never flown again. I would have given all up in that moment without a thought to be Egyptian bird wife and cook for him and share his bed and bear his children. But you cannot change what you are, only what you do. I am a witch. He is a human. I stayed with him for long enough to bear him a child. (sighs) And I'm gonna stop there for a moment because I, when I read, there's more to this exchange. But when I read this, and it said, "I would have given it up all in that moment to be Egyptian, but wife and cook for him and share his bed and bear his children," I was a bit like, "Ugh, Ugh. yeah, yeah." But the next line, where she's just so like unequivocally, but you can't change who you are; you can only change what you do. And I really like that because it must have been hard for her to want all those things even if we don't particularly agree with them to like serve a man. No, thank you. But then for her to be like, well, do you know what? I can't do that because it's just not who I am.
1: Yeah. There's something to be said for like having the fleeting thought of like, wouldn't it be great if in order to make the person that I love happy, these are the things that they're expecting. If I could just fit into that box, how nice would it be? And then you just go, that that box isn't the same shape as me. Like I, it's never going to happen. But you can have that fantasy. You can think like, oh, how pleasant would it be if I could? And then if you dig deeper and you go, very unpleasant because I wouldn't be being yeah. myself.
0: Such a strong move and such a, you have to know yourself so well to be able to, to do that. Definitely. In the face of someone that you love more than anything to be like, I can't do it. It's just not me. And also, I i know that this was in her like kind of fantasy about what she wanted, but I don't know if Father Coram would want her to do that. I don't think that he'd want someone like, waiting on him
1: and like cooking for him and being a birth wife i don't know because she talks about how much he changes Mm. after they've broken up and i wonder if he kind of comes to himself and the father courtroom that we know i wonder if they'd be way better suited now yeah maybe because (sighs) she goes lyra's surprised she says that she didn't know that there was a child was it a girl a witch And Seravena says, no, a boy. And he died in the great epidemic of 40 years ago, the sickness that came out of the East. Poor little child, he flickered into life and out like a mayfly. And it tore pieces out of my heart as it always does. It broke quorums. And then the call came for me to return to my own people because Yambe Aka had taken my mother and I was clan queen, so I left as I had to. Uh, So they lose a child, which is so horrific. She's never seen Fardacorum far again, but she heard of his deeds and how he was wounded by the scraylings and with a poison arrow. She sent herbs and spells to help him recover, but she wasn't strong enough to see him. She heard how broken he was after that and how his wisdom grew and how much he studied and read and she was proud of him and his goodness, but she stayed away for there were dangerous times for her clan and the witch wars were threatening and besides, I thought he would forget oh, me and find hello. a human wife. It shows me that she makes a lot of assumptions about him. I love that she witnesses him grow into, like, a whole mm. other person and that he comes into his own. And I think he he's this, like, really strong intellectual person now that perhaps he wasn't. Perhaps he was, like, just young and sexy. <laughs> and that's what she was into. And she was infatuated yeah. with him. And they, like, got together and stuff. But if she... Had have been able to like grow with him, yeah, and see what and have mm-hmm. him grow and grow old with her. Like maybe that would have been even more heartbreaking. But also, I think that she made a lot of assumptions about him, saying that she thought that he'd find love yeah. after meeting her, and saying that she thought that he would want a di- Egyptian mm-hmm. boat wife and all of this There's kind. There's of two stuff. things that
0: this makes me think about. So first is that we find out why Father Corum has his sticks and stuff. Um. And is yeah. broken, not in our words, in Serafina's words. And then the second point is it kind of highlights how heart-wrenching Fardacorum's meeting with Kaiser must have been. If he'd not seen Serafina in however many years it's been, they've never seen each other again. And for him to see Kaiser again must have just been horrendous. And wonderful and everything all in one and
1: i just so difficult because there's so many aspects to their relationship and then they've both experienced this profound yeah. loss together and especially for her for him it's this huge thing it's a major factor in his entire life and for her it's this really weird awkward thing because she's saying she's hundreds of years old like men and children flitter through her life like butterflies. Like, everyone has such a short life, but at the same time, you know, it has to have been devastating for her, otherwise she wouldn't have avoided him. Yes. So many layers to it. So much. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. So, Lyra's like, he never would forget Mm -hmm. you. You ought to go see him. He still loves you. I know he does. She's so innocent and pure in that moment because she doesn't, necessarily understand all the emotions that go behind that and why it's so difficult but she's like i know he loves you you should
0: go to him and seraphina says that he'd feel ashamed of his age and she doesn't want that and that's another thing that's like heartbreaking isn't it because seraphina will look the way that she looks forever until she dies and father coram is gonna continue getting older and even if they did see each other now it wouldn't be the same because seraphina i Obviously, they still love each other, but yeah, there's that, like, Father Coram feels, Wolf would feel a bit embarrassed about how old he looks, and there's
1: yeah. It's a classic vampire-human relationship dynamic going on here that is so comparable to Buffy and Angel's relationship. Yeah, absolutely. When she's having her, like, visions of her walking down the aisle and being, like, an old woman and stuff. Yeah, all of her visions of being growing old while her boyfriend doesn't. It's all of that is happening to Seraphina. yeah seraphina peckler but
0: yeah flipped yeah totally (laughs) (laughs) is that a new
1: one (laughs) but larry's like no that's dumb i think you should at least try to send a message which i also think is important because no matter how painful it is you should reach out to the people in your life that mean a lot to you and staying in contact matters and that's why i think the kaiser conversation is really important as well
0: yeah and seraphina says nothing for a while and then pan goes to her branch to acknowledge that perhaps they'd been insolent but i don't think that they were like i think they were just being inquisitive and it's that like childlike thing that we were talking about earlier but like maybe lyra was like oh shit maybe we've overstepped a mark here or something
1: if she's just like fallen into silence then lyra is a bit like "Uh oh i I think i i think i asked too many questions She's gone all quiet and broody. <laughs> but yeah. I can see that being the thing of being like, uh oh, I said a bad and I don't know what it was, so I'm just gonna send Pan to make apology. Mm-hmm. But yeah, not enough questions
0: apparently because she starts asking more. So Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Why do people have demons? And then Seraphina says that everyone asks that, but no one knows the answer.
1: She doesn't know. She, she never knows know. anything. <laughs> she doesn't know anything. Lyra just can't stick to one question. So she's Seraphine is like, we don't know. Everyone asks and no one knows. As long as there have been humans, there have been demons, it's what makes us different from animals. And Larry's like, yeah, we're different from them, all right. Like bears, they're strangers, they bears. <laughs> It's like, do you want an answer to your question or are you just going to, like, chat about bears? She's like, you think they're like a person and then suddenly they do something so strange or ferocious. You'll think you never understand them. But you know what Yorick said to me? He said his armour was for him, like what a demon is for a person. His soul, he said. But that's where they're different again because he made it and oh. she's just going on and on and on and I love it because she's so excited that Seraphina didn't know a thing but she can tell her a thing about bears. I know, and... The- but also, I love that she's so distractible. She can't focus on this conversation because she's so excited to tell her a thing about bears.
0: Yeah. Oh, and then at the end, I love Yorick. I love him so much. I wish he wasn't coming.
1: <laughs> Aww. Oh, she just yeah. wants to keep him safe. She's his protector yeah, she too. Is. She is. And uh, Serafina
0: asks Lyra if Yorick has told her who he is. And she says only his name and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't even Yorick that told Lyra his name, was it? It was the, um, the consul at Trolsend, And we learned that Yorick's a prince and that if he hadn't committed a great crime, he'd be king of the bears by now.
1: We're about to get some excellent, super relevant Yorick backstory that helps keep us armed for what we're going into as this section of the book is yes, named Svalbard.
0: absolutely,
1: yeah. <laughs> so then Lyra says that um, he told me
0: that their king was called Yorfa Ragnarsson. And we learn that Joerfa became the king when Yorick was exiled. Um, and that Joerfa is a prince or he wouldn't have been allowed to rule. Um, and then we've heard this stuff about him before, haven't we? About him being very human-like.
1: Yeah, he seems to do things in a very tactical manner. Yeah.
0: And he's very skillful and subtle. And some say that he perverts Yorick into the deed for which he was exiled. And others say that even if he didn't, he encourages them to think that he did.
1: Because it adds to his reputation for craft and subtlety, which is not what bears do. Because we know from Yorick saying earlier that bears are honest and you can never trick a bear, which is super interesting. Um, so Lyra wants to know what Yorick actually did. Uh, see. So- See, one reason I love Yorick is because of my father doing what he did and being punished. Seems to me they're like each other. Yorick told me he'd killed another bear, but he never said how it came about. Stop comparing Yorick to your dad because Yorick is better than him and we love him more. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And like, she's so like really holding on to the fact that that he's like Asriel. And the fact that she's okay with Yorick killing another bear because he never said how it came about is both noble and I think a bit naive. So it's naive because she's like holding on to this hope that he's similar to Asriel and,
1: that, and disregarding that he could be like super dangerous because
0: he's killed another bear.
1: She's like, if Asriel can kill someone and I think he's a good guy, then Yorick can kill someone and I'll think he's a good guy, because anything Asriel does is okay by me. And that's not cool, Lyra. Exactly.
0: <laughs> but like in another way, it's definitely naive, but like it also could be read as like being a bit noble because she hasn't shunned Yorick immediately for killing someone else and she wants that uh, killing a bear. She wants to know the background before she makes a judgment, and I think you could like read it in either way, or both.
1: Yeah. Also she's just so greedy for the gossip oh, yeah. she just wants to know what happened like yorick hasn't told her and lee's not told her lee probably knows because him and yorick have had dealings and they're like mates and stuff nobody's told it she's like i can totally get this story oh yeah i want the gossip give me yeah, the gossip it, like. <laughs> we find out that as in all the best gossip it was a fight over a <laughs> she-bear and the male who yorick killed wouldn't display the usual signals of surrender when it was clear that yorick was stronger for all their pride, bears never fail to recognise superior force in another bear and surrender to it, but for some reason this bear didn't. Some say that yoffa worked on his mind or gave him some confusing herbs to eat. At any rate, the younger bear persisted and Yorick allowed his temper to master him. He should have wounded him and not killed him. So... That was a little bit paraphrased. I cut some bits out. Sorry for not quoting directly. We basically find out that Yorick did just lose his temper and kill someone that wasn't backing off. But it was clear that that person wasn't backing off because they were drunk. Or that that bear. that Bears are people too. Um, (laughs) That bear wasn't backing off because he was drunk or drugged or manipulated or whatever. And Yorick failed to see through that and let his rage get the better of him. Yeah. So I do think Yorick is quite a lot in the wrong here because if he was fully sober and the other bear was not, he should have been the one to be able to keep a hold of the situation and subdue this other bear without killing them. So
0: then obviously we we know otherwise he'd be king. And then Lyra remembers again the information that she heard about Yorfa back in Jordan College about him tricking his way onto the throne and again, she doesn't remember that thing that we called back to a couple of chapters ago, like that one thing that she just can't remember about Yerfa, and it's that he wants a demon. But we don't, we don't learn that here either. But I'm just gonna bring it back from that callback that we did a couple, like mm-hmm. a couple of chapters you ago.
1: Feel like skipping back to chapter two? You will find it there.
0: <laughs> Lyra then talks about how. So Joffa tricked his way onto the throne. But, you know, Yorick said to me once that bears couldn't be tricked and showed me that I couldn't trick him. And then she says, it sounds like they were both tricked. So how can bears not be tricked if both these bears were tricked? And then Seraphina says that when bears act like people, perhaps they can be tricked, which is interesting. No bear would normally drink spirits, and Yorick burn drank to forget the shame of his exile. And it was only
1: then which led to the trollers and people to trick him. Exactly, which I kind of like because Yorick wasn't bullshitting her when he said bears can't be tricked, but there is a loophole. Don't don't you worry, folks, there's a loophole. Ugh Lyra then says, That's clever of you, she said. I wouldn't have known that if you hadn't told me. I think you're probably cleverer than Mrs. Coulter. Yeah, but the, the
0: bit before she says she admired Yorick almost without limit and was glad to find confirmation of his nobility. So again it goes to that where she's just like blindly like i don't know what the word is she's just like blindly following yorick and wants him to be she's built him up in her head again like she's done with Azrael, and but this time she's happy to learn that actually he is that noble bear so she wants that confirmation
1: yeah but equally she's not reading enough into the situation here and he totes was in the wrong <laughs> yeah yeah she thinks that, yeah. yeah she thinks that he is that but is he? We'll wait and see, I suppose. She's like, oh, he was tricked, therefore it's okay. And yeah. Like, yeah. You should still have control over your own strength if it's strength enough to kill somebody. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, so sorry, you were saying this bit about where she says that Serafine is cleverer than Mrs. Coulter.
1: Probably as clever as Mrs. Coulter. That's not a compliment, yeah. Lyra. We've established that Mrs. Coulter is a bit of a dick, so at this point, comparing somebody to her yeah. is not a compliment. Very um true. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. it's very childish it's such a childish thing to say it's like oh, you're so pretty you're almost as yeah. pretty as my mum like <laughs> you just have this yeah you're just perfectly happy to tell somebody exactly yeah. what you think of them yeah. yeah, regardless of whether it's a compliment <laughs> or not
0: so they then carry on flying and then some time passes and then Lyra asks another question god I'm getting fatigued with all these bloody questions I'm not gonna lie
1: Poor Serafina is answering a lot. Also, full name again, Serafina Peckler. What's oh dust? Yeah. <laughs> every time you talk to her, you don't
0: have to use her full name. A classic full name in from Lyra. Listeners should have to drink every time
1: Lyra full names someone. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> do it. Philip is full naming people left, right and center as well, though, because Serafina Pecola is consistently referred to not when Lyra is addressing her. Yeah. Sarah- because it's, I don't know, Serafina Peckler told her we just he must have just been really into yeah. that name when he wrote it and he's like this is, a is damn really damn good name. To i'm gonna use it as often as i can it is <laughs> it's a down good name i hope that no one's gonna write in and be like actually it's Pecala, not Pecala. serafina <laughs> Levio leviosar not leviosar <laughs>
0: so uh serafina says she doesn't know what dust is witches have never worried about dust All I can tell you is that where there are priests, there is fear of dust. Mrs. Coulter is not a priest, of course, but she is a powerful agent of the magisterium, and it was she who set up the ablation board and persuaded the church to pay for ballbanger because of her interest in dust. We can't understand her feelings about it, but there are many things we have never understood. We see the Tartars making holes in their skulls, and we can only wonder at the strangeness of it. So dust may be strange, and we wonder at it, but we don't fret and tear things apart to examine it leave that to the church
1: she doesn't know but I do like that she says our not knowing doesn't affect us in the same way as not knowing is affecting these other these humans that are clearly more insecure yeah because their not knowing is making them literally tear children apart to find out what's going on and the witch's not knowing is just something that they're like oh we don't know that gonna carry on with my nature business like that's it I wish I could live my life like that. Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: but this um, is kind of a good like paragraph in the sense that it links just directly to the church. And I, although we've known that because we've known the people that are involved in it, I don't think we've ever had like a sentence where it's kind of
1: like just on the church or closely linked. Yeah. It's one of those things where you've had little tiny puzzle pieces adjacent to one another. Yeah. And we know
0: that that we know that it's a case. We can piece together that it's the case, but I think this is the first time that it's kind of just been laid out in front of you and said, look. Definitely. This is the thing.
1: Yeah. Lyra has like a bit of a revelation when Serafina mentions dust in the church and she thinks about the photo mill and then she thinks, and the elementary particles and that whole weather vane thing that we were trying to get our heads around when Lyra was thinking yeah. about it many chapters ago. She just, in her head... It was just kind of like, hmm, could be. <laughs> just having yeah. this thought. She's not really explaining to Serafina what's going on. She's like, most church things they keep secret after all. But most church things are old and dust and old as far as I know. <laughs> I wonder if Lord Asriel might tell me. And it's just like, I don't know she's just is also having conversation fatigue because she's asked a lot of questions, but she's not explaining herself. But I kind of like it because yeah seraphine is just probably done with the conversation too she's like okay she's talking to herself now i'm gonna back off
0: (laughs) yeah and it mentions again the link doesn't it between elementary particles and religion which i think we were struggling to grasp at the last time this was mentioned yeah because it was very confusing true (laughs) but again that's kind of like laid out for us this time and also the like it's kind of obvious that she's getting conversation fatigue because then she goes to lay down doesn't she she's like yeah i'm gonna go and lay down now otherwise
1: she'll probably freeze bless it and is like all right go to bed love bye
0: yeah she says that she'd rather die in the balloon than on the ground
1: (laughs) yeah i think she's just kind of a little bit delirious from sleepiness or something at this point because she's talking some real stuff (laughs) she brings up the guillotine again which I don't know
0: if she would have done if she wasn't feeling so like fatigued and a bit delirious because it's obviously still playing on her mind and like it, sometimes it sometimes you have to be in that kind of like fatigued state to actually kind of voice the things that you're still experiencing trauma about.
1: Yeah, she's still quite she's quite vulnerable and more like yeah. open to opening up about it. So she goes to sleep and now all four of them are asleep and I
0: really just want someone to do a drawing. Of like all four of them asleep in the little basket, all like spooning because I think it'd just be the cutest thing ever. I
1: feel like I might even have one from the fa- on the Fan Art Friday things that I've like got saved oh for like later shares. I'll try and find it so I can share it this Friday. <gasps> yes, please. Yes. So, uh, Seraphina
0: they they all go to sleep for a bit, and then Serafina calls out for Lee, who wakes up immediately and knows that something is wrong because the movement of the basket is a bit off, or they're like getting swung back and forth. Yeah swinging wildly and the witches can't hold on to the rope anymore or can barely hold on to it and then lyra starts to wake up uh, <laughs> this is really it shows how immature i am but
1: <clears throat> lee says he's letting out some gas and i just put lol fart joke <laughs> i didn't even clock it Faye. that's how grown up i am
0: <laughs> oh my you're such a grown up Uh, I'm so childish
1: yeah this is another great example of Philip doing a bunch of stuff happening really fast and we don't get full conversations or full explanations of what what's happening so we feel as disorientated as Lyra does because she doesn't know what's happening to the balloon and Lee's shouting things to the witches and we can't hear the replies or we can't make them out in the same way and um, I quite I quite like it I quite like that we don't need all the information because that would make this chapter bloody long (laughs) yeah definitely so he says that they're way
0: too high and they need to go down. And then Roger's waking up too. And Lyra and Roger's demons are clinging together. Um, Roger comforts her and says they'll make a fire when they get down because he stole some matches at Balfanga. Oh, Roger. Roger!
1: You're so cute. Just trying to you're make something sweet better. and you're so pure. And I love you so much, Roger. Oh. It's all right because I found some matches. <sighs> that will be fine. You've got this, fine. buddy. It's just a little ray of optimism. Yeah. He's the opposite of a grumpy bitch.
0: <laughs> yeah, he is. We need a bit of Roger in our lives. Yeah. So they go through clouds as they go down. So they go into like some really thick, th- uh, thick fog. Um, and there's another shot from Seraphina, and Lyra feels a thump from above, uh, and then Leah explains that it's a gas valve, and Lyra starts to ask a question, but is cut off because something hideous appeared. Hideous. <laughs> Fucking hideous. A creature half the size of a man, with leathery wings and hooked claws, was crawling over the side of the basket towards Lee Scoresby. It had a flat head with bulging eyes and a wide frog mouth, and from it came wafts of abominable stink. Ew. Ew.
1: We just met our first Mm. cliff guest. Yep. Yay! And I'm not here for it. (laughs) Take it back. Oh, I'm so here for it. I love a creepy, gross creature. Me too, but like, I just... Ew. Like I don't know, I feel really not good about these cliff guys. Oh, fair play. I mean, they are little shits, but I I don't know. I love a good creature description, and I feel like that's a really good mm. one. You can I can definitely see it when it's described. Yeah, it's not vague. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. So cliff gags are attacking the balloon. Yorick just smacks one out of the way, and it <laughs> <I fucking laughs> like, like bats so it much. off like a fly, and I love it. <laughs> He's just like, meh, he's just like, cliffgas. cliff gas. <laughs> Bye. Um, but yeah, there's more cliff gas than they think and there's lots of like ripping sounds and horrible things and they all get like pushed towards one side of the balloon and Yorick like puts his arm across them to hold them all against the side of the balloon because they're getting rocked around all over the place. Yeah. And then the balloon rocks again. There's just lots of rocking back and forth. Yeah,
0: And horrible noises and loud and very confusing things. Lots of horrible smells from the cliff gas.
1: It feels as if the basket is being tossed rapidly from side to side, as if they're bouncing between rock walls. And I don't know if that is happening or if it's just how it feels. It's all very disorientating. And the last thing Lyra saw was Lee Scoresby firing his long-barreled pistol directly (laughs) into the face of a cliff gas. Bye. Oh,
0: God. (laughs) I fucking love that. Just like point blank right in the fucking face. Boom.
1: Yeah. Brilliant. Goodbye, Klinger. Get out of here. Who and Yorick love it. She clings to Yorick, and there's howls and shrieks, and the lash of wind, and the creak of the basket, and there's just so much going on. And then the jolt the basket jolts again, and she's hurled out of it completely. And she's just falling. And it sounds like she's not falling for that long, because she just lands in a tangle that she can't tell which way is up. And Uh, in her face in the tight pulled hood it was full of powdery dry snow it makes it sound like she's not fallen that far but I want to imagine she's fallen quite far
0: yeah this whole thing is really terrifying I think it goes back to me being claustrophobic but falling into snow and then having the only bit of you and not knowing where's up is horrendous and having the only bit of you that's like uncovered obviously because it's so cold packed with snow so you can't fucking breathe that's horrendous
1: Yeah, that was pretty grim. I hadn't really thought about it. I just thought it was cute that she'd probably like fallen in the snow and made like you know, when you see the little foxes that are in the snow and they like dive in like nose first and they make like a big old like poof in the snow, kind of imagining that or like a big old like snow angel imprint. When you like fall backwards into a yeah. snowdrift and make a big body print. I'm imagining that and it's far more whimsical in my head than it probably would be in real life.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I read it the exact opposite and I was like, this is fucking terrifying. No, thank you. <laughs> Brilliant. She's like really battered, uh, but thankfully nothing is like hurt really. She just felt breathless um, and she raises her head and peers out and she sees just loads of fog and loads of like gray shit
1: and she can't really make anything out. She saw a world of grey, of pale greys and dark greys and blacks, where fog drifts wandered like wraiths. I love that description. And whenever anyone talks about wraiths, I think about Lord of the Rings. So there we go. I can't comment because I don't like Lord of the Rings. I'm sorry to everyone. Think Dementor, like, billowy things. And that's that's your wraiths right there. Great. Great. Cool. <laughs> bringing it back to something Faye cares about. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh,
0: I love her. Uh, so she can hear the cries of the cliff gas. Um, and then the crash of waves on rocks, which must mean they're near the sea. She calls for Yorick and Roger but her voice
1: is all faint and shaky. It makes sense if they're near the sea, cliff gasts Live on cliffs, cliffs are by the sea. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about that before. Yeah,
0: it does make sense. I just put two and two together. (laughs) And then we're reminded
1: that she's not alone uh, because Pan creeps out to keep her company. Yeah, and he's checked on the alethiometer and it's okay because he's a a good demon. We like Pan.
0: Yeah, and then they have like a bit of a conversation about how they're lost. And what if the cliff gas comes down? They say they better try and find uh, the balloon.
1: Also just literally right after having been like Roger, Yorick, shouting, shouting, shouting She's like oh we better not shout I did yeah. just now <laughs> but maybe We better not in case they hear us
0: I did it once But I won't do it again uh, She says that she wishes uh, She knew where they were And he's like this isn't very comforting." from Pan, he's like We might not like it if we did, we might be at the bottom Of a cliff with no way up and the cliff gas at the top To see us when the clog, uh, when the fog clears I'm
1: like very cheerful, Pan. Thank you. Yeah. That's a bit of pessimistic imagination, and I'm here for it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's true. So they landed in a gap between two rocks, which is really fucking lucky because if they'd have landed on one of those rocks, they would be dead.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Lyra is. I mean, it doesn't make you think that maybe it has got quite a lot to do with fate <laughs> that she is yeah, still right. intact yeah. at this point. Definitely. Um,
0: And the fog has covered everything. They couldn't see more than three yards ahead. Um, And they head off to look um around but they don't find anything and then they well they don't find anything but then they find some sandbags and figure out that lee must have thrown them off so that the balloon would fly up again and then that's i think i feel like that's kind of when they realize that oh uh, shit they're actually on their own down here right yeah and uh she hears a noise and turns to see what it was and she thinks that she sees Yorick and she calls out for him.
1: But it wasn't Yorick. It was another bear in fancy armour with a plume on the helmet. Ah, yeah. fancy bears. And fancy he bears. roars because that's how a bear introduces himself. apparently. A bit rude. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And out of the fog came more bears. And Lyra's like, oh. Lyra stood still, clenching her little human fists oh i love that it describes her as so small and so human because now she's surrounded by bears she's in the minority so you don't need to describe the bears as big you need to describe her as small yeah i like it yeah it's really
0: good so the bears ask her name and where she came from and she tells them and interestingly she doesn't lie this time does she she tells them her name and where she came from well you can't trick a bear that's true she does know that so maybe she's
1: deliberately not lying at this point yeah that's true Yeah, they tell her to go with them because she's a
0: prisoner now. And she follows, wondering how she can talk her way out of this one. Classic
1: Lyra. (laughs) The next chapter is called Captivity. And the picture that goes next to the chapter is of a fancy looking lock. I kind of love this chapter in a lot of ways because it takes Lyra from being in this like, mission-centric we're on a balloon we're going from a to b i'm surrounded by my friends to like once again this place that she's kind of getting familiar with at this point of being like just dropped on her ass in the middle of nowhere just to admire and pan against the world which is kind of great because we love that and we love seeing how scrappy she is but also this chapter has so much talking in it (laughs) and i love that we get so much backstory on some like major characters but it is a lot, and you do get a bit of conversation fatigue. Yeah, it's definitely a lot, and it it is great that it
0: is Lyra and Pan against the world. But you can just never get comfortable in one place in these books, right? No, it's just always <laughs> like, oh, you're just getting a little bit comfortable in the balloon. Let's she's off. Let's tip you out of <laughs> <Let's, like> that. <laughs> yeah, let's literally throw you out of it. Okay, cool. Uh, but yeah, I agree on the dialogue thing. It's definitely we like you said we learn a lot, but it's a it's a little bit too much. Maybe they, maybe it could have been separated out into like a a few chapters where we learn that information. I do like the little cliffhanger ending there. I do like enjoy a cliffhanger, so I like that. Mm -hmm. Literal cliffhanger
1: with cliff gas to boot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love that we've met the cliff gas. They're some of my favorite gross creature things. I enjoy it as a description because like it's also one of the more hard to picture magical things that he's written into the books. Because witches—they're these like beautiful women—and the bears are bears. Like you'd know what a lady looks like, and you know what a bear looks like. But this cliffgast is something so completely different. It's hard to imagine, and that's kind of cool that he's yeah made up his own thing as well. Yeah, definitely. I do like that we've met another
0: like weird and wonderful creature. Yeah.
1: Do you have an award? Oh my award obviously this week is for the queen the queen herself Mm. Serafina pekela queen of evading questions queen of (laughs) my heart queen of far decorum's heart queen of everything and i love her she does a great job of not answering any questions but still coming off as really wise um (laughs) (laughs) and like this is the longest we've spent with her and i'm really happy about it yeah She is goals. Like, I wish that I could be like her
0: and just know that I not have the knowledge, but then also be
1: perceived as, like, super wise at the same time. And just not caring about insults. Ever. Oh, God, yeah. Just, it it doesn't, inconceivable. (laughs) I love that so much. I love it. So great. I guess when you've got 300 years under your belt, you've learned some stuff and you've dropped a lot of insecurities. I'm here for it. If I could just have, like, 300 years worth of, chill under my belt that would be great mm-hmm. i need it <laughs> yeah same who is your award for uh i'm gonna give mine to yorick
0: because i really liked when he just fucking poured that cliff gas yeah. off the side of the basket It was just like eh, cliff gas
1: bye love it <laughs> yes yeah, bye sir, bitch, bitch. He's And he's such a protector. Yeah he is. Oh yeah, and he loves Myra so much.
0: I also love that he spent most of this chapter asleep on the floor of
1: the basket and then just got up to just fucking whack that cliffgus away. Yeah. Yes, Yorick. doing your job. Love him. Great character. Yay. Cool. thanks so much for listening to this episode of her dark materials you can find us on twitter instagram and facebook at hdmpod and you can email us at her.materialspod at gmail.com bloody love blood email oh hope blood an email <laughs> if you want to support us you can become a patron
0: at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod you can also rate and review us on apple podcasts it helps other people find us i'm Faye, and when i'm not talking about lyra and pan i'm probably writing you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Faye which is F-A-Y-E-L-E-Triple-Y. And if you want to read some of my blog posts, I'm on
1: medium at faye.ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about demons and dust, I'm making designer toys, art, and illustrations. You can find me over on Instagram at rachmakes, on Twitter at Rach underscore makes, and in my online shop, rachemakes.co.uk. A big thanks to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. We'll see you in a week's time. And don't forget, keep telling stories
0: and all will be well. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Stay safe. Bye-bye-bye. Bye-bye-bye. See you in prison. (laughs) (laughs) Nice.